This is Event Masters. Behind the scenes stories, experiences, and lessons shared by the world's leading event experts. Hosted by Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Event Masters. I'm super excited to have our next guest who literally is the best in the world at what she does. It's Christy Nicolay joining us from far away. Uh, Christy, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Christian. How are you? I'm doing really great, and I'm so glad that you've carved out time out of your extremely busy schedule to have a conversation today. But you got to tell me where you're joining us from, because that background, that doesn't look familiar to me. No, this is, uh, I'm, in, I'm in my room, and uh, I'm in uh, Santiago, Chile right now. So we're just about, um, we're about a month away from uh, the Pan and Parapan American Games. So, you know, getting close, getting excited. And it's winter here, so we have some, you can't see it because it's like, but it's there, I promise. Some beautiful, uh, you know, white-capped mountains. And uh, yeah, so here in Chile, where it's chilly. Wow. Well, I appreciate you uh, joining us all the way from Chile. And uh, before we started recording, you told us that, you know, things are not entirely stable there. There might be a little bit of earth shaking going on. Yeah, quite a few, uh, you know, quite a few uh, earthquakes here. I think I've had one every single trip I've been here now. So it's been about, I don't know, six or seven. <laughs> so, But it's, you know, they're kind of fun. I mean, come on, I'm from California, so it's not. It's no big deal. It's all fine. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, stay safe there and warm uh, in the winter months uh, here. It's, you know, in Salt Lake City, where I am right now, it's quite nice. You know, temperatures in the mid 80s. Uh, it's very comfortable. So uh, no complaints. But winter's on the horizon. We got our first uh, first snow of the season up in the you mountains. You guys are getting ready and we're wrapping up here. So, yeah. yep. All right. Well, when I said you are the best in the world, uh, it's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration, right? You have, I'm looking at this bio here, which is amazing, produced, or executive produced, uh, sport presentation victory ceremonies for more Olympic and Paralympic Games than anybody else in the world. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so that could happen. That's a bold claim. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't write that, but it is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My first one yeah, was Salt Lake. So, I mean, my first games was Sydney. That was with NBC. But my first ex time executive producing sport presentation was there with you in Salt Lake. So, yeah, a long time ago. Well, we'll get we'll get to the history of this in a minute. Uh, but a lot of innovations that we've seen in sport presentation over the last two plus decades have come from your creative vision. They've come from your brain. Uh, and I'm curious. Uh, you, your bio kind of talks about this coming from MTV and then to ESPN and so on and so forth, but maybe you can kind of flesh that out a little bit, uh, you know, how you got involved in this particular industry, uh, the the crazy world of major events. Yeah. Sports and entertainment. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I just knew that I loved sports and entertainment and um, traveling. Like I'm fascinated, you know, working in different cultures and um, learn. I mean, I'm super bad at all of them, but I love learning new languages. And so, um, yeah, somehow I just started doing everything that I loved and it kind of evolved into like the perfect job, I guess. <laughs> so, um, I started, 
I, I really had done everything else. Like I was a, I was a flight attendant. I was a gymnastics coach. Um, I was a park ranger in uh, San Onofre San, uh, for San Clemente State Parks, or sorry, California State Parks. But I like ran surf competitions in uh, San Clemente and San Onofre, which is like a really big, you know, surf surf spot a long time ago. So I kind of learned to like run events and. Um, then I was in Hollywood, so I got to see like a lot of behind the scenes production stuff. And then it just sort of was like, Hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I really had done everything else. And then, um, really what happened, I was working at the Ritz Carlton. So in Laguna Niguel a long time ago, and I was running the fitness center and, um, I was back in school. I, I took some time off and then I went back to college while I was working at the Ritz and I took a film class because, um, I thought that it would be like an easy A. And it ended up being kind of a lot of work, you know, it was like writing screenplays and a lot of analogies, but it was also into photography. And then my professor was like, look, you have a really good eye. Um, you write really well. You have a good, great imagination. And but I would write these true stories about like, growing up in Oregon with all brothers. And he would go like A plus great imagination. <laughs> but anyway, so he sort of, um, I guess, saw the potential and, and said, you, you know, you should think you should think about production like film and production. And so I started taking those those courses and um, and finally figured out like which path I wanted to take. And I um, was living in the, um, in the French West Indies. I was, so uh, did a, a small job for club med down there. And, um, I met all these people that worked for MTV and I thought like, Oh, that's what I want to do. And I thought that, okay, I'll finish school and then I'll go to, you know, film school and, and then I will, I'll get an internship. And so I, I kind of had this, this whole, whole path, um, lined up. And then, um, my kind of new friends at MTV, said, hey, we heard you switched your major to TV and film. And I said, yeah, someday I'm going to grow up and be like you guys. And then they said, well, do you want a job? And so so that's that's kind of what happened. So I, I started at MTV and that took me to ESPN. And then I got into sports, which I already loved. I already did a lot of sports. And then um, and then then it just kind of went from there. So. So how did you end up finding this niche of sport production or sport presentation, as it might be called, and the victory ceremonies? You know, how did it go yeah. from, okay, I'm doing stuff on MTV and I'm doing stuff for X Games and stuff, and now I've, I've created this thing called sport production or sport presentation? Yeah, so, so when I was working at MTV, I was very much on the... Like I only knew the TV side, the the broadcast side, and and actually everything I did, I did a lot of shows. I even I did a couple of films, even as an assistant director, and I did a lot of TV. And um, one of my favorite jobs on the on the TV broadcast side was I loved being a field producer. Um, you know, I'd worked my way up. I mean, I casted talent. I was a supervising producer. It was a <laughs> I did kind of everything, you know, on the production side. And then um, somebody that I worked with at MTV said. Um, hey, you know, you love skateboarding and you love surfing and you, you should interview for this show called ESPN's X Games, which at the time, I mean, this was, you know, early kind of you know, mid 90s, I guess it was like now I'm dating myself anyway. Um, but they uh, yeah, you know, you should it was in San Diego X Games. And um, and so I got an interview down there and I went for an interview that I thought was for a field producer for the broadcast side. And so I went down there and I, you know, got the job and then they were 
saying, well, yeah, you're producing for the, the big screen. I'm like, okay, this is this was completely new to me. You know, I, I came from the broadcast side and I was used to having, you know, my like own crew. I mean, you could do take one, take two, take three, like you got a lot of chances. And then of course you could fix anything in, in editing, but this was, um, it was sort of, uh, you know, it was live, but even though it was just for the big screen and all of my TV friends will argue, well, you know, that's for, you know, 10,000 people as opposed to broadcast, which is, you know, 10 million or, or whatever the, the numbers are. But, um, but I really liked it. I fell in love with it because it was, you know, immediate gratification. Like you, and you could, you could physically, you could see the, the reaction from the fans that were actually there and you could really, um, you know, you could make a difference like in the show and you could, um, enhance the competition, you know, for the athletes that are there competing and you can engage the, the crowd and you could, it's like, it, it really was like a whole new world. And so that's, kind of happened by accident. I just thought I was going for a TV field producer job and it was for, well, what we now call sport presentation, but then it was called live event production. So live event production, sport presentation, sport production, day of game presentation. It's kind of, it's all the same thing. Why don't yeah. you describe for those of us uh, who may not know exactly what that is or what that entails, you know, what sport presentation or live production, uh, what that, what that actually is. Yeah, sure. So if you bought a ticket to a sporting event, like the Super Bowl, for instance, or, you know, any, any game, any NHL, NBA, any Olympic games or Pan American games, anytime you go to watch a sporting event live, um, sport presentation is everything that you kind of see and hear, uh, in the venue outside of the competition itself. So, um, you know, if you go to the Super Bowl, it's going to be the halftime show. And of course, the, the pre-show, we always do at least an hour pre-show leading up, you know, to the what we call the zero time, which is could be the tip off or kickoff or whatever, however the sport starts. So, um, yeah, so it's all the music and the announce and all of the video content that you see on the video boards, um, any entertainment, um, you know, lots of all the elements that, that kind of surround a sporting event. So that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. Um, and it can be absolutely amazing. You mentioned, um, that, well, you know, and I have seen this, you know, that, uh, a lot of innovations that have come in this space over the last, uh, two plus decades have originated with you. And I'm curious, uh, if you can describe what some of those innovations were or are, and what are some of the favorite ones? What are some of the stories behind some of your, you know, favorite innovations uh, that you've seen over the years? Yeah, I mean, it's getting harder and harder to be innovative. <laughs> so you know, I mean, on one hand, it's easier because there's like technology that supports it, but on the other hand, some of the technology takes us in a, a different direction. Um, you know, people looking at their phones rather than looking at the field of play. So it's always kind of a, a struggle. But I mean, back to the, you know, the the early days, I think I I learned so much at MTV that I was able to kind of take what I learned at MTV and then go to ESPN's X Games. And then at, at the X Games, um, it really was like we could be as creative as as we wanted and and so i think that's really kind of where i learned to not um not limit myself you know and just like just little things you know that are 
like don't even matter anymore. But back then it was like, hey, let's ask every single athlete what music they want to hear when they drop into the pipe um, for skateboarding, for instance, or snowboarding. Or let's, um, you know, let's do um, moving athlete headshots so that we can, you know, capture the the athlete's personality. So one of the first times we did that, um, well, we did it at X Games, but then when I was at the Olympic Games in Vancouver, um, I was able to do things like put a screen, like a, an extra large, you know, video board at the top of the half pipe for snowboarding. And I didn't want to just do like still photos. I wanted the the fans to be able to connect to the athletes. And you can't really do that when they're wearing a helmet and goggles and, you know, you can't see their faces. And so started to think, well, of course, everyone can see a photo of them, but let's like, let's capture their personality. So we told the athletes and one of the first ones was Sean White, which I'll never forget. And um, we told, we told the athletes they were coming for a photo shoot and we wanted a whole bunch of different poses. And then really we were filming. It's like a special camera at the time that looked like a, like a regular camera, but it was you know a film camera. And so it was amazing because then the athletes came and we said, you know, give us your serious, serious face. So they like, you know, and then be like, give us your laughing face. And they, you know, <laughs> give us your strike a pose model face. And they would, and then, but really we were filming the whole time. So we were really, it was, you know, we were re- really able to show like their personality. And I think the result of that were that fans could see what they were really like when they're, you know, relaxed. And then when you feel like you, you know, an athlete a little bit better than you become a fan of theirs. And so I really, I mean, those are just simple things, but, um, it's, we're always you know, trying to think of something new. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things I think about sport presentation is there uh, are so many opportunities for things to go a little wonky, a little haywire, whether it's from, because of power, whether it's because someone got delayed in transport, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, things can go a little weird. And I'm curious, have you had any experiences do you have any stories about you know where you had to like off the cuff well we okay we're going to switch to plan b or we got to do this because something's not working um gosh i mean yes for sure of course i'm gonna probably i'm trying to uh let's see yeah definitely we've had things i mean something we were just laughing about because we're we're getting ready for uh santiago here but um we were just talking about our, our mascot. So mascots are something that often fall into, into sport presentation. And um, just this morning, we were talking about how our, um, we had a mascot in, I think it was the Rio 2007 Pan American games. And the mascot was a giant sun, like giant sun. Yes. <laughs> um, you have like, <laughs> don't tell me you have one. Yes. Coway. This is him. Coway. You have Cali. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> and you had it right there. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. I don't know why it was sitting there. Actually, I do know why it was sitting there. Um, my, I was going through my office and trying to reorganize some things. My wife was helping me out. And she's like, where do you want to put this? I'm like, I don't know. Just set it down and I'll figure out a place. And I haven't figured out the place. So it's just sitting back here. That is amazing. It's hilarious that you mentioned Coway. Okay. So we're in, so imagine this. So you now you know who Coway is. Can you show it again? So it's a giant, the mascot is a giant sun. Okay. 
And this yeah, dude right here. Okay. He's a little bit more to scale there, but in the mascot, he's a giant, right? Like he's, I, I can't, I don't know if you can tell, it's like this wide. <laughs> and he's, uh, so he's at gymnastics and he's on the, um, you know, the, the field of play is, he's on the, the main mat and he's like kind of raised up. It's like kind of on a platform. So it's like a foot off the ground, let's say. And he's out there performing and he cannot kind of only move like this. And, and then the, you know, the song was over and he, he's his handler i don't know where the handler was but somehow missed him and instead of stepping on the step he completely stepped off the stage and went like flat and was like oh and couldn't get up because he was i'm sorry it was really funny we were just talking about it this morning like how we, how, uh, how important it is to you know have mascot costumes that are more functional because he also could never get through a door. He was always, you know, he had to like turn sideways and shimmy. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, we've, I'm sure we've had much, uh, we've had, you know, much worse things happen and they're going to come to me as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Well, I, maybe it was you, it was telling me, maybe on the Salt Lake podcast, I can't remember, but you know, one of the challenges with mascots is, just coordinating their appearances, right? So that, yeah. you know, the kids think that, oh, here's the one and only, you know, right. you think there's only one, one of these mascots and, yeah. and, you know, so, so that they don't appear like, oh, here's the mascot here. And then, oh, there he is over there. Like, right. so just the, you know, who, who thinks of this kind of stuff? It's yeah. not something that the normal population thinks about. Yeah. At the same time, you, you can't have, you know, only one because uh, they, they would just be, exhausted and stuck you know they can't be in the costume for so long and just again we were just talking about it so we went we have 11 here so that's good but um yeah so i don't know i'm sure i'll, I'll think of other things that have happened but it's you know we're always doing these you know what happens if the you know flags get stolen and what, what happens if i i had um in the Pan Am Games in Lima, 2019, we had a, we were doing indoor volleyball, and it was indoors, but there was like it was kind of an indoor outdoor venue, and it had some like air kind of ventilation at the top, and fog actually rolled into the venue, and we had to stop an indoor volleyball game due to fog, because the whole venue filled up with with fog, and you couldn't see like the players couldn't see each other. So there's all kinds of things happen. You just, yeah. No. Just oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, one thing I want to ask you about is um, in your career, uh, you know, thinking about Olympic games or major sport events, uh, <clears throat> there are different ways that you've been engaged. You know, sometimes it could be, uh, as a full-time employee of the organizing committee. Sometimes it could be as an advisor consulting with them. Sometimes it could be contracting with your company uh, to basically outsource a range of services that are being provided, et cetera, et cetera. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious to, to hear from you, uh, you know, what, what are some of the, the benefits and challenges associated with these various ways of, of engaging uh, sport presentation for for the organizers. Yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly I've done both ways. Um, just you know, it really depends on the organizing committee and and how they structure. Um, 
you know, all the, all the different functional areas, you know, sometimes it's, it's done all in house. Um, and sometimes it's outsourced to, to a company, um, generally for Olympic games, since I was, you know, doing, yeah, I mean, it's been both ways really, but, um, you know, like, like again, like two, I always, I guess I think of 2002 because that's where I think I first met you, but 2002 is, you know, all in house. And I handpicked every single person for sport presentation and I, you know, built the team there and, and it was the same way for Athens. So I, Oh, this is probably a, a story, but yeah, when I, when I got called for Athens, I got called in November of 2003 by, by the, the CEO there. And, um, you know, the games were in July, 2004. And when I got there, like nothing had, had been done. So, and I had to not only hire everybody in house and handpick every single person, but I could only get approval from the board once a month. So I think really had to like be ready for, you know, the whole, the whole batch of people that were to be hired for games time, but you can only do a certain amount each, each month. So, um, that was certainly challenging. Um, and then, Torino 2006, I mean, they, they outsourced, I consulted to the outsourcing company. Um, and then I, I went there for games time and every, yeah, Rio, we did Rio 2016. We did it in house. Um, I had a, you know, Brazilian team, much of the same Brazilian team I had in 2007, um, which was amazing. And actually a lot of them are here now. So it's, it's great to still be working with people from, from so long ago, but, um, yeah, it's, it's on one hand, it's, you know, when you are inside the committee and if you have the, the time and the support from the other functional areas, it's, it's good to be in house. And other times, like, you know, when it's not enough time and you can get, you know, a, a company like now, like ours. So now I, I work for a company where we do sport presentation, um, you know, then it's easier because you have the team all lined up and you can kind of come in hot and you, you're ready to go. So, um, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to, to both. And yeah, just, just depends how the organizing committee decides to structure really. Well, thinking about these organizing committees and these events, as you mentioned, uh, you're in Chile right now, you, you worked in Brazil, you worked in Athens, you've worked in so many different locations, so many different places. Russia. Don't forget Russia. Yeah. And, and, and that, requires learning about understanding how the local culture works, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not only in the organizing committee, but outside of it as well. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, that learning curve can be steeper for some places than it can be for others. And I'm curious, you know, if you have any of those kinds of stories where you came in as like a fish out of water, you know, yeah. coming into this new uh, country, a, a new location, a new uh, a new corporate culture uh, yeah. and you kind of had to feel your way around and figure out how that worked. Yeah. I mean, it, it used to be, I would only, I would so many times I would be um, the only woman in the room, um, you know, working in sports and working in production. Um, you know, that's like kind of was always a fish out of water, but I grew up with all brothers and doing all sports. And so I was never, it never really, um, like not that it didn't never bothered me for sure, but it was something I actually didn't often notice. Um, 
until, you know, later on and people started asking me about that. <laughs> and so I was like, oh yeah, it was, was like that. But, um, but certainly, you know, in, in being in, you know, big meetings in Moscow, Russia, like getting ready for, you know, the Sochi 2014 Olympic games, um, you know, not only the only female, but often, or, and actually in Greece as well. Um, but also the only American. Um, so it's always, you know, I've tried not to be, um, you know, too American, I guess, and try not to always try and, you know, being, um, I, I, I think I, I pay a lot of attention to trying to adapt to whatever culture it is I'm in. Like I try to always be cultural, culturally relevant to wherever I am and not kind of not force like, well, this is what we do in the U S you know, <laughs> like I never, I never want to do that. Although, you know, some of my, some of the, you know, big sports teams are in the U S or the big, um, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a balance for sure. But I'm, I'm often, I don't know, I'm probably just awkward in general, <laughs> probably just a fish out of water in general, but, um, but, you know, I get along and it's, 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 it's easy and it's super fun to work in, in South America. And, um, you know, I love working in Europe as well. And I, I loved working in, even in China and Pyeongchang, like, I think, I think everywhere you go, you know, you, I have this motto, like wherever you go, there you are. Um, so you're still you wherever you go. And I, I think um, I learn amazing things about people and get new friends that from all over the world that speak, you know, different languages. And I'm not so big on learning about new food. I'm kind of kind of a bland eater. So not so fun to have to try weird things <laughs> sometimes. But yeah, but it's it's a it's an amazing uh it's an amazing job and lifestyle, I guess. Uh, okay. I have to ask, because you brought the food up, I do have to ask, oh. is there one thing that has been offered to you that you just like, no, I'm not going there? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about s'mores. I was already. <laughs> oh, I'll get to s'mores in a minute. But is there, you know, in all of your travels, is there one thing where you're like, oh, yeah. you know what? I just, I can't do that one. Sorry. Yeah, definitely. That I would have to say that was in China, um, getting ready for Beijing. Um, so pre-pandemic, I, I, I did go there. I worked the Beijing uh, 2022 Olympic Games. Um, I consulted to the, the, I was their advisor. So actually, I think I was like their vice executive producer or something. But anyway, I was working with the Beijing committee leading up to the games. And then, you know, during the pandemic, I couldn't, couldn't get there, obviously. But then I went just for games time. Um, and still got to to do those games. But prior to that, yeah, I was going there, I don't know, once a month or something, and they would always have these, you know, fancy dinners. And um, one time I was having dinner, I think it was like the owners of the bird's nest, you know, where the opening and closing ceremonies were. And very fancy dinner, I don't know, maybe 12 of us at a round table at the top of the stadium, overlooking the stadium, and things were just coming out, and they were smoking and on fire and I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you what it was, um, that I couldn't eat, but I just knew I couldn't eat it. So I didn't eat it. <laughs> Some things that looked like maybe they weren't quite dead. Um, you know, I'm, it's, you know, you try not, I don't, you never want to insult anyone. I'm sure it was a delicacy and it probably was delicious, but I just couldn't. And, 
Yeah, another time in well, Tokyo. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, people are going to think I'm crazy now. Like, <laughs> what does she eat? She doesn't eat anything. No, um, no. one time in Tokyo, another fancy dinner leading up to the Tokyo 2020 Games. And, uh, you know, it was on the top of a, you know, fancy restaurant on the top of a, their tallest building. And it was similar. I'm going to say it was like a Benihana where they cook in front of you. But it was, you know, it was just a sushi, you know, place and also where they tap on and they cook in front of you. But, um, but yeah, they brought out, um, I had ordered shrimp and they brought out, you know, this plate of shrimp and just, I guess I'm supposed to see if it was fresh or not. So I'm like, oh yeah, okay, it looks fine. And then they took out a little brush and they tickled the the bellies and they all were like, oh, and they were still alive. So I was like, oh no, no, I can't eat those ones. So I could eat them later. I don't want to see them in front of me. <laughs> so, so I don't know. You don't I'm, want to witness their demise. Like. I don't want to be the the reason. But yeah, so. I uh, at, at risk of uh, Scott Givens getting mad at me, he, you know, his his rule is he always ordered tofu. Like if you ever went anywhere, because he's like, I can't go wrong with the tofu. You know, yeah. that's that's a relatively safe thing. Um, but uh, I, I do remember my times in Beijing. You know, those big fancy dinners you were talking about yeah. with the massive round tables, and and uh, one time I got uh, camel feet. The oh. like camel. Uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, no. yeah, that's great. Thank you very uh, much. I try never to eat anything I could be friends with. So, <laughs> like I stick to fish, have to have a conversation with a fish, but, or shrimp, but yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I kid in, in all, but in all seriousness though, um, I really, really appreciated the hospitality uh, wherever we went, but particularly in those Asian countries where they really did make an effort to um, make us feel uh, important and wanted. And, and uh, uh, they, they treated us exceptionally well. So I, I have no complaints. It's fun to talk about camel feet and things like that, but honestly um, they, they were fantastic. I really, really enjoyed my time over there. Yeah. Yeah. Me as well. Yeah. All good. right. Well, let's talk about the s'mores because you, you know you brought that up. So, so tell us about the s'mores, the tradition of the s'mores. No, it's just uh, you know I I just actually have some here. I brought them, but, but it's too far over there in the cabinet. I won't. I'll I'll spare you the proof. But um, no, I just you know I grew up I grew up in Oregon, and you know we'd always go camping, and I love s'mores, and um, it's just something that every every country I go and, and work in, it, it, it eventually always comes up and like, you don't know what a s'more is. Okay. I'm going to bring them in because you know, you can, they don't always have, we might be, I'm trying to think of where we were, but we, we, oh, we were in Doha for instance, one time, I think the Arab games and it was tough to find a fireplace there. And I think we put them in the microwave, but it's like, what you guys don't have, you know, Hershey bar and graham cracker and marshmallows this is crazy. So every, uh, every, Every games I do in every every country and culture, we always have s'mores. We also always play rock paper scissors. Um, so it's I don't know. It's just things that kind of traditions that kind of stick with me, <laughs> and <laughs> we just always do it. But yeah. But how did the s'mores tradition come about? 
That's what I want to know. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. Do you know? Did I tell you once before? I, you may have. I'll have to go back and listen to the podcast, but I really like that. I, mean, oh, I, mean, I forgot. What? I don't know if you've ever tried these guys. No. They're really good. Okay, wait. Hold on. I'm going to be right back. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. <laughs> wow husband, okay yeah, i gotta look for those i didn't open them yet my husband bought them for me for this trip but you know just to prove yeah <laughs> wait <laughs> so, oh there we go hey yeah, maybe well, you're all set okay well i got mine and you got yours uh we're all set <laughs> no i don't remember why i think we talked about that before but it just is. It's just a, just a thing. Well, just one of the things that I liked about that though is, is it's one of the unique things that you bring that really helps uh, the team bond. You know, and for for you, uh, you know, it's absolutely vital that you have a, a a team that works with you that performs at the best of their capabilities. And I'm curious, uh, you know, how you have developed your leadership style and approach over the years that really no matter where you go, you're able to get people to uh, deliver their very, very best and, uh, and, and really do an excellent job. And so you know, maybe you can give us a little clue on, on you know, how you've kind of developed your approach over time and, and some of the stories that you've seen, uh, you know, leadership, uh, team building, uh, high-performing teams when it comes to your area of uh, sport presentation. One, I think I'm incredibly lucky. Um, I think, I don't know how or why it is. I just, I'm, I just, I'm so grateful for the, the people that do join my team. Like I'm just every, every time, you know, we're, we're, uh, about to do a workshop and I have to go out and speak to, I don't know, three or four or 500 of them. And I look around the room, I'm just always in, in awe of their, um, you know, they're also like incredibly talented and creative and they come from, from all over the world. So here in Santiago, we're going to have uh, 21 right now. We have 21 different nationalities on our team. And so every games we go to like here, I have, I mean, I'm, I keep pointing here because they're in the meeting like, to go to the meeting with them in a little bit. But, you know, I have uh, Brazilians that I worked with in Rio 2007 and Rio 2016. And I have, Peruvians, you know, that we worked with in Lima 2019 and Argentinians that did Buenos Aires, this, you know, um, Youth Olympic Games. And we have, um, I don't know, like everybody, Mexican, Puerto Rican, <laughs> um, like, uh, Portugal, uh, Australia, France, uh, Germany. Like there's this, I don't know, I just, uh, I, I think maybe it comes from when I did work in Hollywood, I used to cast talent. Um, so I like one of my team, Liana just said to me this morning, I was like, we had to replace somebody. And I said, Oh, no, this person will fit with this person. And, you know, or, or when you look at announcers, like this voice, like their voice complements the other voice. Um, but it's really just kind of overall big picture. Like I really look at 
who can complement each other or who's really going to bring out the best in that other person. And, and somehow we just get these like amazing people that love to do what they do and they love to work together and they, you know, they, they don't just become like colleagues for, you know, 17 days, they really become lifelong friends. And then I'm just lucky enough that when I get the, the next big games and I call them up, they, they all say yes. And then we're all back together again. And I think that's like, just like why we all love it so much. It's like, you just, you know, you might go two years, you know, before you see them all again or, and um, I don't know, they're just, I, I'm just always, I can't believe when I call them and they all, they, sometimes they drop everything. Like sometimes they have full-time jobs and they're like, okay, I'm going to leave for two months. And, um, I don't, it's just, I just lucky. <laughs> I think that's probably most of the battle right there. I mean, just because you approach your, you approach your role with such gratitude and kindness uh, that it can't help but be reflected back. You know, so uh, what a what a remarkable thing that you've done over over all these years. As you look as you look back at the the work that you've done so far, um, are there any particular moments that really stand out for you? As uh, I don't know if they would call them goosebump moments or mm-hmm. crowning achievements or whatever, but you know, when something just went beautifully and you're like wow uh i was really fortunate to be part of that yeah i mean um there definitely are definitely have been moments like that i mean i get i i think when when everything works like it could be something so simple but when you know the music and announce and the video and the sport and like everything it's it's kind of like if if things don't go well, not that many people notice. Like I'm the worst person to take to a sport event. Like you don't want to take me to anything because I just sit there and go, ah, I should have done that, and oh, they should. But <laughs> so, but most people probably don't don't notice. Um, but when everything goes like hits just right, um, it's kind of it's it's like magic, you know. It's like even just something something simple as our victory ceremonies music, for instance. Um, a lot of times, like right now, we're working with our composer here, and a lot of times, you know, you work with the composer, and you can do victory ceremonies music a couple of different ways. You can have you know five different tracks, like a, a walk on music, and then a bronze, and then a silver, and a gold, and then a pers- and then a walk off music. Um, but then it's up to the DJ to make sure that it all kind of syncs together. Or you can compose the music where it kind of naturally builds and and maybe it's going to hit at that moment when the athlete steps up onto the podium and gets their medal or, or maybe it's not like, but sometimes um, when everything just works at like the exact second that it should, you, I do, I kind of get this feeling like, ah, that was, that was magic. You know, so, and you only hope that the athlete, you know, and the spectators felt it too. Um, But no, I don't know. I mean, I've been at a lot of different things. I mean, I, I know I'm trying to think Olympic games, of course, you know, it was always when Sean White got his, you know, gold medals. I was, I was always there. Um, A lot of, 
most of the stuff that I keep are coming to mind are like things from X Games. Like I was there when Tony Hawk did the first 900 at the San Francisco X Games. I think it was 1999. I was actually on the ramp. I was there when, um, you know, Travis Pastrana did his first double backflip. So that's also an X Games thing. But all those kind of, um, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of moments. Uh, again, I'm going to think of them when we, as soon as we hang up. Well, it takes me to another question, which is about the crowds, the spectators, because it can be different in different parts of the world. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite, so I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I, I like music. I'm a huge fan of the group Rush. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there is, um, there, there's a DVD called Rush in Rio. Okay. And they are playing Maracana. Yeah. And there's like 60,000 people in there and they are going absolutely nuts for this band. Whereas in the States, I mean, they play their demographic skews a little bit older. Yeah. They're sitting a lot of the time, you know, they're, they get up and applaud and, and they're fine and they're, they're respectful and they're having a good time. But these folks yeah. in Rio were yeah. off the chain. I mean, they are just on their feet the entire time. They're jumping around. They're even singing the instrumental parts where there's no words. They're just singing the instrumentals. And it's just, you can see the band members look at each other. Like, I can't believe what we're, what we're seeing here. And I'm, I'm curious in your experience, you know, what it's been like, because you're, you're delivering things in venue in the stadium with, you know, thousands of spectators, you know, where, where you've had, you know, have there been places uh, in the world where you've had, uh, crowds that have just been absolutely amazing and and how sport presentation really helped uh prepare and and influence that crowd to really give its all you know because the athletes they can really feed off of that energy that comes from the crowd right yeah of course i mean um you know well rio i mean the fans and and rio were were always amazing um you know, not so, not so easy to get the reactions in, you know, Pyeongchang, for instance, um, certainly not Beijing, but also there were no crowds because it was the middle of the pandemic, although there, there were spectators, but they were kind of isolated and not as packed as usual. Um, but I, I think, you know, in, in Latin America, it's, it's, um, it's really exciting here. I mean, just one of the things we did in Lima, for instance, Lima 2019 Pan American Games, we didn't have a huge budget for entertainment um, and we really had to get my team together and go, okay, let's, what can we do here to really, you know, engage them? And, and uh, one of my producers, the guys happened to be out like at a bar or something and they heard this song called Caranito and it's like a very famous song and it's really fun to dance to. And they said, well, let's like make our own flash mob. So they came up with the choreography and then we, we, we ended up like teaching it to everybody. So we taught it to, you know, security guards and the volunteers and the medical staff. And we were actually having, you know, workshops to teach everyone that worked um, this dance to this very simple song. And then um, the, the result was that every time we played the song in the venue, not only just the workers or our dancers that, that knew or the choreographers that knew the, the choreography, all the fans started to learn it. And I remember like being at the, uh, I think it was the volleyball finals and it was a packed crowd. And, um, and we put on that song and sent the dancers out, but not only were the dancers dancing to the song, the entire crowd knew the choreography. 
And so, and that was something that just, you know, happened kind of organically. And I, that mo, I remember like crying a little bit because I was like, wait, we did this and we did this out of almost nothing, you know? And there's just, it's like, it's kind of the little things that, that stick with me that you kind of get that moment and you're like, wait, we, we did that. And, you know, and it's, and, oh, and to add to that, then the team, and I don't remember who the winning team was, but the teams knew the choreography and they were dancing after they finished their, their final match and before their, their medal ceremony. So that was, um, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. Well, you know, as you look ahead to the future, um, you've been involved uh, and in the middle of a lot of innovation in this space. Where do you think it's going from here? You know, uh, it seems like with the technology that's available today that in, in some respects, the sky's the limit. Uh, but at the same time, you talked about challenges of people just looking at these things the whole time and yeah. not actually pay, paying attention to the events. So, uh, you know, what does the future look like uh, for sport presentation? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really good question because, you know, for a while there, we, you know, during the pandemic, of course, it was going in a different, completely different direction. You know, we were, I don't know if I had talked to you before or after, but I had just, I did like the basketball champions league in Athens, Greece in the middle of the pandemic and they didn't have fans, but we had video boards and led walls and we had like virtual fans. So I thought like, Oh, it's, yeah, it's great for the players to run through a tunnel of video boards and have their fans like cheering, but it's not the same emotion. You know, you don't, you don't get the same. I, I don't think the athletes get the same energy as they do as, you know, people physically, being there and being there and supporting them and being there and paying attention to the game. Um, so it is, uh, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of the new innovation is requires people to look at their phones and that's not what we want. And it's definitely not what I can tell you. It's not what broadcast wants. You know, they don't want to pan the crowd and have people looking at their phones. So it's, uh, it's always trying to, um, I think the challenge is always trying to bring the focus back to the field of play and, to me, it seems like I always want to make the athletes, you know, rock stars and tell the fans, you know, not only more educate them more about the sport or how the game is played or because maybe they, you know, maybe they might not know that sport. Like maybe they bought a packet of tickets and it came with, I don't know, extra tickets to some other sport. So you always want to be educating them. But I think creating fans, more fans for the athletes is is always important. So I think there's a lot of going in to, you know, showcase, showcase the athletes. And it's, again, simple things like, um, you know, athlete entry screens with, that they walk through, like making a big deal of them, of their introductions, you know, when they come onto the field of play. And um, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I think we're going to probably be doing holograms soon. <laughs> like with music, you can do that. We almost did it in Vancouver, but it was, I don't know, half a million dollars or something too. <laughs> to have a hologram of a band but i mean there's there's i don't know the technology like i said advances and it's just trying to find a balance and um i don't know i don't know which way it's going but it's it's a good question i don't have a good answer <laughs> well i've got one more question here for you uh to 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 kind of wrap us up here one of the reasons that I wanted to do this is is I wanted a way to kind of pass on some lessons to 
the people who are going to come and replace us after a while, right? So are you saying there are people that are that are just starting to get into this business or they're thinking about, oh yeah, you know, events, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to do that. You know, what kind of advice would you give to people who are who are thinking about a career in events or are just starting their career in events? Yeah. Um I would say, well, I I truly believe that if you do things that you love, you will end up in the in the right job. You know, if you just do that, um somehow it kind of manifests into what you really want to do. But if you know already you really want to get into events, um, you know, I would do do those. I mean, I would try to volunteer or intern or or study or whatever it takes to to um you know, to learn about all the different positions. Cause also there's like a lot of different, different roles in sport presentation. You know, you could be a producer or show caller. Like if you're, if you are able to make quick decisions, quick decisions and you can write scripts well, and you can, you know, you have knowledge, technology, knowledge, you know, um, technical knowledge, as well as like, if you're creative is, you know, so there's a lot of different, different areas. Um, for me, I wish if I could go back and do anything as a kid, I would have learned as many languages as possible. So I would say if you want to do events that are worldwide, you should definitely like learn as much language as you can because you just you never know where where you're going. And um and also that opens up, you know, the horizon a bit more. You're not just, you know, not just going to work in the US or work wherever wherever your your language is. So um, I would do that and yeah, just get out there, <laughs> get a hold of people. And there's so many people that, um, you know, want to, want to do this and they'll, they'll write to me and they'll be like, okay, I don't have anything right now, but I, I do keep a, a, a database and I go, well, you know, we might be, we just did the warrior games in San Diego, for instance, and, uh, a friend of my daughter's had just graduated San Diego State, and she's dying to get into this business. And then I was like, "Oh wait, hey, we're in San Diego. We have this position open, and we brought her in, and now she's full on in <laughs> to to working events." So I, I just you just never know. You just if you just do what you really love, and somehow you'll get there. I think. Well, I think that's fantastic advice. And if I can gather uh, from what you said throughout our conversation. You know, one of the reasons that you've been able to do what you've done is when opportunities were just presented to you, they just kind of came. Uh, you said, sure, I'll do that. Uh, and yeah. I think this 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 industry, it it is uh, it will welcome people who are OK to to try to solve a problem, even if they don't necessarily feel like I don't have any experience in that area, but yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Like you said, you know, you started out on MTV, you were just doing all kinds of jobs. So yeah. I, I'm gathering from what you've said in your own experience that, you know, having this, uh, this, uh, I don't know, uh, this ability to say yes to opportunities and not shy away from them, even if you maybe don't feel like, Oh, maybe I'm not the perfect person for this, but there's a need and I can, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to fill it. Yeah. There's been, I, you know, I can't really think of any like definitive examples right now, but I often, there's been things that, um, you know, were not the best job that I did. And then somehow later on, it was really good that I had that experience because maybe it was like, 
I just was thinking of this the other day. Something happened. I, I did something in LA and, you know, like, you know, it was like a two day event. It was when I was doing broadcast. I don't even remember like what it was now, but then um, something came back around and I'm like, oh yeah, I've been there. I've worked at that venue before, or I did this. So it always, even, even if, uh, you know, it's not the, the best gig in the world or you don't have the most fun, or maybe it was just like, I don't know, 24 hours a day and it was horrible. Somehow that experience I find always comes back around and I, I learned something from it. So I think it's, it's good to just get out there, <laughs> do as much as you can. Well, uh, I know you're in high demand and I know you've got to run to meetings and I've kept you uh, beyond your time. So I appreciate your patience in answering all of my crazy questions. But if people are listening or watching this podcast, they want to learn more about sport presentation. They they are running events and they want to see if you are available or your company's available to provide some services. What are, What's the best way for those folks to reach out and uh, connect with you? Yeah, well, the company is Van Wagner. I work for Van Wagner now. I've worked with them for a long time. And then after 2016, I, I joined them. So now I'm, now I'm in charge of our international events division for, for them. So, uh, so vanwagner.com is our company website. Um, for me, I'm on LinkedIn. You can also direct message me on Instagram. I won't put my email out there cause I already have like 6,000 unread emails. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, so you can find me there also on Facebook, but I don't know. Facebook isn't cool anymore. So I don't know <laughs> anybody goes there, but yeah. 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 Well, people my age or, or my mother's age, you know, we'll, we'll go on there, but yeah, I, I understand you on that one. Okay. Christy, we'll let you get back to work, get your meetings ready. We wish you the best of luck in your uh, preparations for the Santiago 2023 Pan American games, Parapan games. Uh, super exciting. For you. Thank you so much for joining us. Listeners and viewers, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Christy, thank you so much. Thanks, Christian.